excuse me, I'm trying to do church here. <laughs> I'm just teasing you, you know that. Hey, uh, we're going to take a little bit of a break from the series that we're in. Uh, Galatians, we have a special treat for you uh, this morning. Uh, we've invited Stacy Lemancy to come and uh, share the word with you. Uh, I just want to share a little bit about uh, who she is and what she means to Grace. Stacy and Chris have been at Grace for a few decades, I think 20 years or better. Uh, I didn't ask them, but I know we've been here for over 20 years and it seems like you've been here the whole time we were here. So they've been here a long time. They served in uh, Nigeria's ministry partners with us uh, for part of that time, which was an incredible journey to watch them go on. Stacy serves in our community as an OBGYN. Uh, seems like a fascinating day uh, to have her teaching as she has helped bring many babies into the world and walked with moms who struggled to do that. But she's just served our community in that way. And we're uh, grateful for that. Um, and beyond all that, God has just gifted her as an incredible teacher, and uh, I got a chance to sit with her early in the week and walk through uh, what she's going to share today, and I've been excited ever since just to uh, allow you to uh, hear what she has to say. She is a mother of three and a wife and uh, just uh, super talented, and so we're really blessed to have her. So would you welcome Stacey Lemansky to the stage? Like a rock star, they're wooting for you. Woo, woo. That's your fan club, apparently. I'm going to pray for you. Thank you. Lord, thank you so much for Stacy. Thank you for her friendship. Thank you for her encouragement. Thank you for how she has been uh, just an integral part of grace, the way she has helped to uh, change the culture here in so many ways, whether it's restorative prayer. Uh, she's just always um, making a difference wherever she goes, and this is no exception. Thank you for the word that you've given her this morning. I pray that you would just help her to settle into the fact that you have given her a word and you have given her a voice, and that we are uh, excited to hear what you have to say through her. Thank you for gifting her in this way, and uh, we just thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Have amen. at it. <clears throat> Good morning. I would also like to wish every, all the mothers a happy Mother's Day. And there's someone special in the audience this morning. My own mother is here. So I'd like to wish her a happy Mother's Day and say thank you to my mom for everything that she has done to help me get to this point. Uh, almost 50 years old, she's been serving me and, and helping me. I'd like to just open in prayer and pray for uh, our moms. Because as Ali said, some are hurting in the room. Some are hurting because maybe you've lost your mom. Maybe you uh, had a broken relationship with your mom growing up. Maybe you were abused or neglected or abandoned by your mom. Maybe you are a mom and your son or daughter has gone astray and you have a fractured relationship with your young adult child. Um, so there are those of, among us who are grieving and God is with those who are grieving. But there are also those among us who are rejoicing and God is also with those who are rejoicing. Amen. Amen. So let's just uh, open in a word of prayer. And Father, we acknowledge that you are a good and perfect Father. And we come into your presence, Lord, and we thank you for your promise that where two or more are gathered, you are here with us. We invite your presence here. 
and we praise you for who you are and we thank you for all that you have done, God. I lift up this morning those who are grieving and I pray for your comfort and your presence, your Holy Spirit who is the comforter to comfort them, God. And I pray for those who, re who are rejoicing that you would fill them with even more joy. And I pray for those of us in the room who are moms that we would know that there is no greater assignment that you have for us than the raising of our children. Investing in them and, and helping them grow to become spiritually and emotionally healthy adults. I pray that you would empower us as moms to do that. And I pray all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So we are in a series right now entitled Free. And the freest life that I know is the life that is submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. And it's a paradox that surrendering our life to another makes us free, but it's absolutely true. And this morning, I just wanna share with you my own spiritual journey that I have been on over the last year and a half. And my hope is that you will be inspired to continue on in your own freedom journey. So we're gonna look at a passage this morning out of 2 Corinthians chapter three. And if you wanna grab the Bible underneath your seat, you will find it on page 965. Page 965, we're gonna be reading from 2 Corinthians chapter three, starting at verse seven. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed it in glory. Indeed, in this case, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the old covenant, that same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. This is such a rich passage. And I wouldn't say that it's necessarily an easy passage, but I think what Paul is saying What Paul is teaching us is that in the Old Testament, Moses would go up on the mountain to meet with God. And when he would come down to go back to the people, his face would literally be glowing because he had been in God's presence. And Moses would actually put a veil over his face because of the radiance. And the point that Paul is making is that while the Old Covenant all right, that is the Mosaic law and the 10 commandments. While it did hold a measure of glory, the new covenant, which is salvation as a free gift for those of us who've trusted in the death and resurrection of Jesus, amen? The new covenant is far superior and much more glorious. The glory that radiated on Moses' face would fade and diminish. But on the contrary, the passage teaches us that for those of us who are in Christ, who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit, we have the opportunity to reflect the glory of God in an ever-increasing way as we are transformed into his likeness that is from glory to glory. Are you with me? So I want to just jump down to chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's just down a few verses here, starting at verse 6. And Paul adds on this. He says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But... We have this treasure. What's the treasure? The prior verse tells us the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. This is unbelievable. Paul is reminding us that we are nothing great. But if we have trusted in Christ, we are actually carriers of the greatest treasure known to man. That is the presence of God and the message of his salvation. See, when we trust in Christ, the Holy Spirit takes up residence within us. And as children of God, As sons and daughters of God, we are called to reflect the glory of our Father. As we are transformed more and more into his likeness, and another version of of the scripture says, in ever-increasing measure, in ever-increasing measure, the glory of God diminished in the face of Moses over time. But now, because the Spirit lives inside of us under the new covenant, the expectation is is that we would reflect the glory of God in an ever-increasing way. 
Paul is doing a compare contrast here. Are you with me? The phrase ever increasing implies growth. It implies movement. It implies expansion. Church, we are not called to stay the same. We are called to become like him. And I'd like to just give you a little background uh, about this uh, message this morning. And it really was birthed out of my one word challenge for 2018. And if you attend our church on a regular basis, you will know that at the beginning of each year, uh, Pastor uh, Doug and Meg challenge us to find a word that will carry us through the year. And in early 2018, Doug and Meg were teaching about the one word challenge. And I believe it was Meg who said something like, don't try to find the word, but let the word find you. And I thought that was a very wise word. So soon after that, the word expand just dropped right down from heaven into my soul. And I do believe that God speaks to us in our own language, the language that's gonna minister to us. And I loved that word expand. So over the the course of a few weeks and maybe month or two, God began to clarify to me by saying to me, Stacy, in 2018, we are going to expand the capacity of your soul. Now, I had never heard of this, nor had I ever thought of it. But God has never failed me yet. And so I said, okay, sounds good. Let's expand the capacity of my soul in 2018. So as we get going this morning, I just want to make sure that we're all on the same page, that we understand a few of the terms that we're throwing around this morning. So let's uh, talk about the soul and let's talk about the glory of God. What is the glory of God? We read about the glory of God in the scriptures and we sing about it in our songs, but what exactly is his glory? And I think that this is a concept that's difficult for our finite minds to be able to grasp. But as I uh, did some research, some of the words that I found to describe the glory of God, the glory of God is his greatness. It's his beauty, his splendor, his mystery and perfection. The glory of God is the sum total of all that he is. It is the sum total of his attributes. The glory of God is his absolute separateness and supremacy. The glory of God is his separateness and supremacy. So how about the soul? What exactly is the soul? Again, this is another word, it's a term that we use frequently, but I wonder how many of us really know exactly what the soul is. It's a word that's, again, hard to define, but most biblical scholars that I have read define the soul as the mind the emotions, and the will. It's sort of our head, heart, and gut, if you will. 
And the soul is the immaterial part of us that is in need of transformation so that we can more accurately reflect the glory of God. Does that make sense? Rob Reimer, who wrote the book Soul Care, Soul Care is an excellent book, which I highly recommend. He uses the analogy of a suitcase. And he teaches that our soul is like a suitcase. And he says that when our suitcase is full of things like pride and greed and selfishness, then there's no room for the things of God. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. So what he teaches is that we actually have to partner with God in the removal of all things old and we have to instead replace it with the new. Life in Christ is an exchange. It's the exchange of the old, the things that keep us bound, the things that restrict us, and it's replacing it with the new, the things that free us and expand us. So over the course of the first few months of 2018, God began to highlight three specific areas in my soul that were being restricted. And these areas were really limiting my ability to reflect the glory of God accurately. And the invitation was to demonstrate his beauty and character more clearly in, in his attributes of patience, honor, and humility. Patience, honor, and humility. And if there's an invitation to grow in these areas, what's the implication? The implication was that there wasn't patience, honor, and humility, right? Namely, that there was impatience, judgment, and pride. And see, these things had to be removed from my soul, they are being removed, it's a process, and the result is freedom and increased capacity to carry the presence of God. Do you know that you are a carrier of the presence of God? We are carriers of his presence. And again, this morning, I'm teaching from a place of process, these are areas where God is inviting me to expand. And I'm wondering this morning if there's anyone else that needs to grow in the areas of patience, honor, and humility. Maybe you've mastered these, and if you have, that's great. But I can promise you that there are areas of all of our souls that are in need of transformation. Because none of us have arrived yet. None of us have arrived yet. So let's expand by learning patience. Let's expand by learning patience. And I'd like to go back to our original story of Moses. And in Exodus 32, it tells the story, Moses would leave the people, he would go up on the mountain to meet with God. And it's, it says in Exodus 32, that when the people saw that Moses was so long, taking so long to come back down the mountain, they said, let us make gods for ourselves. Some of you know the story. They gathered their trinkets and their jewelry and they made a golden calf and they bowed down to that. 
A few verses later, the exact same situation, the Lord is speaking to Moses and he says to Moses, go back down the mountain because your people have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away. So what's the point? The point is that in the exact same set of circumstances, the perception of God's people was that it was taking a long time. But from God's perspective, it was very quick. And the point is, is that our perception of time is very, very different than God's. In our world of instant messaging and fast food, where we are held in the boundaries of time, God lives in eternity and time is nothing to him. The stories of the Bible reveal that patience has always been a struggle for mankind, but I do believe that in this age, the technology that many of us are addicted to and the pace of life that we keep in our society, these things have our soul restricted with impatience. Learning to patiently wait, however, does something in us if we allow it. And actually, what I'm finding is something very profound happens in our soul as we learn to wait and trust in the living God. Adele Calhoun has written a book called Invitations from God. And in her book, she writes, waiting is God's crucible for transformation. Waiting is God's crucible for transformation. In the waiting, God exposes to us what's in our hearts. God already knows what's in our hearts, but we don't. We're the ones who are unaware right? And, and we realize how attached we've become to secondary things, things like success, approval, and control. Waiting unearths how strongly we are held by what we think is best. And while we may say that we know that God knows best, when we have to wait a while, it can prove otherwise. And waiting is where we learn that the battle truly belongs to God. And victory is his. That it is not by our own might or power, but it is by God's spirit. What I've said does not negate the reality that waiting on God is hard. I do believe that waiting is harder for some personality types more than others, especially those of us who struggle with control. And what I'd like to do this morning is I'd like to offer you a tool that my spiritual director has taught me that she has been encouraging me to use and I am finding tremendous breakthrough as it's unhooking me from my own addiction to hurry and impatience. And it's called a breath prayer. It's called a breath prayer. And we're actually going to take just a minute or two to practice a breath prayer this morning. And my spiritual director has said these profound words. She says, a breath prayer is a powerful spiritual discipline that helps us connect our physiology to our theology. 
So in other words, what we're doing is we're connecting what we believe about God to our physical body. So this is how it works. This is one of the breath prayers that she has been teaching me to pray. So you breathe in and you pray, God, you are here. Breathe out, I have strength to wait. God, you are here, I have strength to wait. So what I'd like to do this morning is to just invite you, if you'd like, to go ahead and just close your eyes, open up the palms of your hands. You can pray out loud or silently, whatever is more comfortable, and breathe in and pray, God, you are here. And exhale, I have strength to wait. I have strength to wait. God, you are here. I have strength to wait. And we can develop a breath prayer around any area that we want to pray or that we need transformation. One of, my, one of the breath prayers that I've been praying off and on for probably about four years now is this very simple prayer. I breathe in, Father, I exhale, I am loved by you. If you wanna be transformed, pray a prayer like that. Remind yourself throughout the very ordinary and routine parts of your day, Father, I am loved by you. As you're driving in the car, as you're walking uh, through the streets of your city, as you're at work, as you're raising your children, we're breathing in and breathing out the truths that God has invited us to set our mind on. Amen? And what I'm finding is that as I'm practicing this very simple spiritual discipline, I'm finding that the Spirit of God is helping me to slow down. It's actually quieting my soul. And it's helping to regulate the physiology of my body. God is in the waiting, and it's in the waiting where we learn experientially we learn experientially that God alone is enough. And we learn that whatever it is we're waiting for, whatever our desire is, it's always subordinate to the desire that we have for intimacy with God. Whatever we want, whatever we're waiting for, it's always subordinate to the desire for intimacy with God. And the final word that I'd like to say this morning about patience is that the invitation is not only to grow in patience for the movement of God, it's also to grow in patience with one another and to learn to be patient with ourselves. Soul work generally doesn't happen in a minute. Soul work takes time. And as we learn to be patient with God, others, and ourselves, we're free from the irritability that impatience brings. The capacity of our soul expands and we are able to more reflect the glory of God. 
So let's expand by learning patience. Number two, let's expand by giving honor. Let's expand by giving honor. Honor is the culture of heaven. Honor is the culture of heaven. And I've heard it said that in heaven, everyone is honored for who they are and no one is dishonored for who they are not. To honor someone means to regard them with great respect. And if we want to develop an inner reality of soul that allows us to more fully carry the presence of God, we have to develop a lifestyle of honor. We have to honor God and honor people. And we need to honor all people, not just the people that we like. And I'd like to read from James chapter three, verse nine this morning. And this is what James writes. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. All people are created in the likeness of God, even unbelievers. And I believe that because of this simple fact, all people deserve our honor. And I have actually come to fear God and the image of God that is in every person, that each person bears. James says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. And the language in this passage is a clear command. So in other words, what James is saying is, don't pretend to praise God out of one side of your mouth and then curse men out of the other. Recently, one of our children was playing a sport in our community. And Chris and I had a, unusual experience with God. And we found that whenever we would honor everyone involved in the sport, whether it was the players or the coaches or the officiators or the, the other team, we would find that we were being blessed and that good things would happen to us. But on the contrary, we discovered that when we dishonored people, when maybe we would complain about criticize the way that the league was being run or we would complain about playing time. I know my husband and I aren't the only ones who can get in the flesh when it comes to sports. I know we're not the only ones. And I do want to be careful here because I'm not in any way suggesting that honor is a magic formula that if we honor people that we just get whatever we want. I am not saying that at all. But what I am saying is during this season, as I asked God, what's happening here? It was so obvious to me that God was working in my life. Over the course of the athletic season, this is what I sensed God say to me. Stacy, I'm using natural circumstances to teach you a spiritual truth. If you learn to honor people, you will be free from a spirit of criticism and you will become like me. 
But if you do not learn how to honor people, I will not be able to trust you because all people are precious to me. You are my beloved daughter and nothing will ever change that. Nothing can separate you from my love. But if you do not learn the heavenly principle of honor, you may forfeit the privilege of reaching the highest assignment that I have for you here on earth. So since this time, Chris and I have purposed to try and keep the words that we speak about others to be strengthening and encouraging. And of course, we're far from perfect, but we're on a journey. And we're learning how to be patient with ourselves. And you know, this week has been a week. You know the evil one has been messing with me, putting me in all kinds of situations, trying to get me to do the exact opposite of what I'm trying to teach. And so it's true, it's true. And sometimes we don't get it right. And we have to confess and repent and say, God, I'm not going in that direction anymore. You've invited me to honor. And that's what I want to, I want to build honor into my soul and into my life. I do wanna clarify that I understand that there are times, especially if we hold a leadership position, that we do have to honestly, realistically evaluate people for their strengths and weaknesses, okay? I'm not suggesting that we just say that everyone is perfect. I'm not saying that at all. But what I am saying is that the invitation is to master the careless and unnecessary use of slander, gossip, and negative talk about others. Wow. Especially our brothers and sisters in Christ. It grieves the heart of God more than we think. If you're a parent in the room, just think of it this way. Think how you feel when one of your children uh, is yelling or is criticizing or is saying negative things about one of your other children. It grieves your heart because you love them both. And what Chris and I are finding is that honoring people is way more fun. It just is. <laughs> Honoring people is way more fun. Criticism and gossip keep us small and shrink the soul. But honor brings expansion, liberty, joy, and laughter. So let's expand by learning patience. Let's expand by giving honor. And let's expand by growing in humility. Let's expand by growing in humility. As I stated a few minutes ago, all people are created in the image of God. We are image bearers. That being said, we are not God. And herein lies two sides of the same coin that I see many of us get trapped by, and I know that I have. One is an underestimation of who we are in Christ, and that is called insecurity. The other is an overinflated view of self called pride. Neither one of these is God's desire for us, neither insecurity nor pride. And I have found that learning to navigate the two is not always easy. 
So I guess it can be said that humility is having a right view of yourself, not too low and not too high. I know in my own life, I did grow up insecure. I did not know who I was in Christ. In Christ, we are loved, we are accepted, we are forgiven, we are complete, we are redeemed, we are his sons, we are his daughters. But what I discovered is that after God healed me of my insecurity and my performance-oriented view of self, then I was tempted towards pride. And what exactly is pride that the scriptures so clearly warn against? And as I was doing some research, I found this definition that I really, I really liked. It's a foolishly and irrationally corrupt sense of one's personal value, status, or accomplishments. And I love this definition because the word irrational actually helps us understand that if we are proud, it's because we've lost sight of reality. We've lost sight of reality that everything we are and have is a gift from God. And have you ever noticed that ungodly pride usually includes the comparison of oneself over and above another? I don't know if any of you are familiar with Tim Keller, if any of you are reading Tim Keller, but he's just brilliant and I highly recommend most anything that he has written. But he's written a very simple little book called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And in this book, he says, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next person. We say that people are proud of being rich, clever, or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer, cleverer, or better looking than others. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if everyone else became equally rich, clever, or good looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. Pride is the pleasure of having more than the next person. Pride is the pleasure of being more than the next person. Very simply put, God hates pride and the scriptures teach that God opposes the proud. As far as I know, and, and my pastor agreed with me on this, there's no other sin or character flaw that the scriptures so consistently warn against with the result being opposition from God himself. Whenever I see any of my children falling prey to pride, I will give them a warning and I will tell them something like this. If there's anyone in the universe you don't want opposing you, it's God. <laughs> yes. Amen. Life will not go well for you if God himself is against you. But on a more positive note, the scriptures also teach that God gives grace to the humble. When we learn to have a right estimation of who we are, not too low and not too high, God gives us grace. And we know that his grace is his favor and his power. 
It's his unmerited favor. It's also his operational power. And who doesn't want more of God's favor and power for godly living this morning? I know I do. The scriptures tell us that when we humble ourselves, we find favor. So this morning, we've talked about three ways that our soul can be restricted. I'd like to briefly just discuss a few methods that we can use to help us get free, no matter what may be restricting our soul this morning. We're going to just look at these very quickly. And the first one is to pay attention. Pay attention. And our own Melissa Gray has written a book, and I believe that the first chapter in her book is actually entitled Pay Attention. And the, the idea is that we have to pay attention to the specific areas where God is inviting us to be transformed. And if you don't know what it is, that's okay. Because you can ask God and he will show you. It's a prayer that he loves to answer. As we prayed in our curtain study, search me, O God, and know my heart and see if there is any offensive way in me. The second tool that I'd like to suggest is to use a breath prayer, to use a breath prayer. And we've already talked about that, but a breath prayer is a way that we can access the presence of God. We can practice the presence of God throughout our day. And the last tool that I'd like to uh, mention is renewing the mind, to renew the mind. And Romans says in chapter 12 that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. And I'd like to just say a brief word about renewing the mind and neuropathways. So can I put on my physician hat for just a minute and talk to you about the brain? Thank you. So this is, a very, this is very simple, but this is what I want to communicate this morning. When we believe something over a long period of time, we actually build neuropathways in our brain around that thought. It doesn't matter if the belief that we have is true or not. If we believe it's true, we build highways in our minds. When God shows us an area in our thinking that is incongruent with the mind of Christ, the invitation is to change the way we think and to build new neuropathways. Now, I want to tell you something about our brain. Our brain wants to take the path of least resistance. Okay, so when we're confronted with a situation that's challenging and testing what we believe, our brain is gonna automatically fire based on what it's believed over a long period of time. So if we want to change the way we think, if we want to renew our minds so that we can be transformed, we have to, be, we have to pay attention and intentionally choose to take those thoughts captive and build new neuropathways around what God says is true. Does that make sense? So I wanna give you an example. And let me just give you the example of patience because I've already shared with you that I struggle to be patient with God. 
And if I'm in a situation where it seems like God is taking a long time, if I allow thoughts like whiny thoughts, like God, this is taking so long, just seems like it's going on forever, nothing is happening. Let's, can we just hurry up and fix this problem already? If those kinds of thoughts are dominating the landscape of my brain, guess what's gonna happen? I'm going to be impatient, frustrated, annoyed, and have wasted emotional energy. But when I recognize these thoughts and how toxic they are to my soul, then I can take them captive and I can renew my mind by building new neuropathways. And I can intentionally set my mind to think thoughts like, God, you're strengthening my muscle of patience. God, I can trust you in the waiting because you've never failed me yet. God, you are good no matter what happens. And these thoughts bring freedom and they expand my soul. Freedom occurs as we co-labor with God in the process. Our role is to pay attention to where the Spirit is inviting us, showing us areas where we might be bound and stuck. And God's job is to do the heavy lifting of changing us from the inside out. We cannot free ourselves. That's actually a lie. We cannot free ourselves. If we could free ourselves, why would we need God? We need God. And it's in the process where intimacy with him is built over time. The goal of our lives is to develop an intimate relationship with the living God that results in interior freedom and the expansion of soul. When this happens, we have an ever-increasing ability to reflect his glory. And the result is that we can actually carry his presence in the person of the Holy Spirit into the very difficult and complex problems of humanity, and we can carry his redemptive solutions with us. The purpose is never so that others will take note of us. The purpose is always so that the world can see the glory of God through us and we can make his name famous. Impatience, judgment, and pride were keeping me bound and small. These selfish attributes were restricting the capacity of my soul and they were preventing me from carrying God's presence and reflecting his glory in an ever-increasing way. But as I partner with God in the process of spiritual transformation, I'm expanding and I can testify that it's better. It's better. It's better It's better for the kingdom of God. It's better for his people. It's better for my children. It's better for my husband. It's better for the glory of God. Yes. 
and it's better for me. So how about you? Is there any area this morning where you're feeling bound or small? God not only wants to free you, but he also wants to enlarge you. He wants to expand the capacity of your soul so that you can carry his presence in an ever-increasing way. The world is full of precious people who are lost and broken and hopeless. It's dark out there. It's dark out there and people are hurting. And now possibly more than ever, the world is in desperate need of seeing the glory of Christ reflected by you. One of the mandates we have is to reflect the glory of Christ. Amen. Let me just pray for us really quickly. Lord Jesus, we bless you, God. We thank you that we live in the new covenant where the Holy Spirit indwells us. We thank you for the invitation that we have to carry your presence and reflect your glory in an ever-increasing way from glory to glory. We pray that we would have the courage to partner with you in the process and that you would receive all the glory and praise. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can we? Th Thanks, Stacy. Thank you. Bless you. That is no easy thing to do, and I just appreciate the work that you put into it and uh, just how you've listened to the Lord. Thank you. Hey, uh, we pray for you before the services start, and uh, we just felt, uh, not to uh, be super surprised, uh, that we just want to pray for the moms today uh, down front. So as we talked about earlier, we know that you're coming from all different places. Uh, we know that today might be hard for you, uh, but we just have some people that want to meet you down here and pray uh, just for you as you go out here and just uh, wherever you are, we want to meet you in that. So feel free to come down after the service. I thank you for being here. Be good to uh, the people around you. Be good to your family. God bless you. Have a great Mother's Day.